Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese podcast. Oh, yeah. Not to get a little Texas spicy. <laughs> a little heat coming at you, folks. This is this is going to get hot, people. This is going to get hot. Today, we have Madison Butler. Madison, do you care if I call you Maddie? I see that on your profile. Yeah. Cool. So Maddie's cool. So tell us a, a, a little bit about you, and then we'll dive into a little bit deeper about what this podcast is about, and then we'll just roll with some discussion. For sure. So I think most people would know me as the blue-haired recruiter, which I have since um, kind of changed my branding to just the blue-haired unicorn recovering recruiter, um, as I am no longer a full-time recruiter. Um, but I do a lot of work on the consulting side with culture and DEI and how to create environments that are really healthy and safe for you know your your employees and your organization, but something that is also you can continue to build on and can create rather than like a one-time workshop that everyone zones out and then you never talk about it again until the next year. <laughs> gotcha. So we've uh, obviously experienced uh, a lot, uh, not just with COVID, obviously within the last, uh, you know, six plus months. Uh, we've The murder of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And it seems like the the conversation, the discussion has been elevated, which is which I, I personally believe. I, I hate that it had to happen because of murders, but I'm glad that it did happen from the standpoint of we get to have this conversation at an elevated level where it should have been happening for many years. And you have been incredibly vocal and calling people out around racist comments and and saying hey we need to stop hiring racists so shine a light how did you get into this what made you do this what made you get up on the stump and say fuck this this shit can't happen anymore i'm pointing at you and we're gonna have the discussion whether you like it or not backstory well so uh full transparency i'm black um (laughs) And so for me, like navigating corporate America has been really interesting to me to see who has been able to be successful despite having like a really insufferable character. Um, And I think a lot of times people are shrugged aside if they're really good at their job. Like if you are hitting your quota, you earn the business a lot of money. No one cares if you're like a hateful asshole. And so we lived in this time for so long where it was scarier to call someone out for being a racist than it was to actually be a racist. And for Mm. me, that narrative is backwards. Like you should be fearful enough to know that you can't say those things at work or you can't say those things online because you should be held accountable for the things that you say that are hate towards other people. Instead, we've made it so the victim of the abuse is the person who is now fearful. They're fearful for bringing up, you know, this person has harmed me, this person has traumatized me, and instead, they just keep it to themselves and like swallow that trauma because we've conditioned racists to feel comfortable in our workspaces. Was there a moment where you sort of said, if not now, when, if not me, who? And you made that decision to, to be sort of the, the, the light that shines on these folks? I mean, because it's, it's dangerous for you as well, right? I mean, like you put yourself at whether it's verbal risk or I don't know, physical, but like there's a risk in doing that. Was that ever a question for you? Um, So I've kind of always been like this. Um, I'm very much, my parents really raised me to like say exactly what I'm feeling. 
and to stand up for the things that I really believe are right. Um, yep. And there's definitely, I've gotten lots of death threats on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And I think that's just, that's part of being on LinkedIn people. And did you report it? What happened? Yeah. And so I did report it. Um, LinkedIn is pretty quick, usually about like violence and taking it down. Um, Twitter, not as great. Um, Twitter is kind of a cesspool sometimes, as we know. But I think for me, it wasn't a matter of like, if not who, then it was just like, I believe so deeply in this. And I, I see the trauma that's created in workspaces. Um, and at the end of the day, like you may clock out at 5 p.m., but like everything that happened to you all day goes home with you. And so I think we are really hindering the ability for marginalized communities to be successful because you can't be successful if you're spending your whole day trying to be someone else in order to fit in at your company. Yeah, Amen. So uh, I, I was doing some homework before the show and noticed that your Twitter account was sort of private. And Chad alerted me that it hasn't always been that way. Was there a moment where you went to a private account or were there, was it from threats or what, what's the story on that? Yeah, I uh, went private basically because sometimes your mentions get really exhausting when it's just like people dropping the end bomb repeatedly. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and so I, I do it every once in a while where I'll go private for a couple of weeks to like save myself the sanity. Um, and then I'll go back public when I feel like maybe those people have like forgotten about me and moved on to their next adventure, um, which happens. I'm usually, you know, people, really fixate on me for like a couple of weeks and then they go away. Um, and that's not new to me. So I'll just make it private for a little bit and then come back when I feel like the world has died down a bit. Gotcha. So in this, in this administration that we've been in, unfortunately for the last almost four years, it seems like, you know, the, the racists have been given license to come out of their fucking holes. Um, is that just me as a white dude that I'm recognizing this more, or is this something that you recognize as well? Yeah. I mean, I guess I just feel like as of late racists have felt really emboldened mm -hmm. to believe that their views are normal. Right. And that there, and that it's a difference in political views, not a difference in morals, and that's completely false. Because although I am not a Republican, I am very left leaning and liberal. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that like racism and politics are correlated. Like right. I, I don't think they're the same thing. Now, when we talk about this current political climate, yes, I think there's a lot of those things that are tied. But for whatever reason, when you talk about racism, somehow people always end up on Trump. And I'm like, well, I didn't say anything about Trump. I didn't even say anything about politics. Like, I didn't even say, like, which way I lean. And so for whatever reason, this political climate has allowed people to feel a little bit more emboldened. I mean, my partner is a black woman, and she was going to the gas station. We live in, like, a very conservative lake town. Mm -hmm. And, like, just, like, without question, like, some dude in a truck called her the N-bomb, like, didn't even think twice about it. And that just, like, blows my mind. Like, cause I don't know what he stood to gain from that. And I don't know why he felt comfortable enough saying that in a parking lot full of people, but that parking lot full of people didn't do anything. So yeah, it's like, well, we've made it normal. And that was a person who didn't know you. I, it, but one of the concerns that I've had, I mean, I've, I've lived, I've worked remote since 20, you know, 2012, but one of the concerns that I have is that's happening, or at least some of those sentiments are actually happening in the workplace, whether it's a remote workplace or the actual physical workplace, uh, that license is coming out there. Have, have you seen that? And, and I mean, one of the reasons why I'm asking is because you're, 
I think primary mechanism to 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 see these these racists actually come at you is on LinkedIn. It's not Twitter. It's not Facebook. It's actually LinkedIn, a professional network. Yep. And I mean, that's the crazy thing to me. And like, it's funny because people are always like, oh my God, you're doxing these people. But like, one, that's not what doxing is. Doxing is like me, like researching your life and finding out things that I wouldn't have found out otherwise. However, what you choose to say publicly on a public platform that is linked to your employer sounds like a personal problem. Sounds yeah. like a lack of judgment. Sounds like your inability to think that there is accountability in the world. So for me, it's like always mind blowing that people are so comfortable on LinkedIn. And I mean, it's not just racism. Like last week I posted a post about women not, you know, I don't, you don't, or you're not owed my response to a DM, to a message, to a comment. Right. Right. Um, I had, I recently had someone who commented on my post and was like, Hey, DM me, I need to talk to you. And I was like, no, nah, I'm good. And he's been like messaging me, like blowing me up ever since. And so when I tell you like every predatory man on LinkedIn came out of the woodwork to explain why women owe them smiles and femininity and conversation, I was just like mind blown. Like y'all say this in public. Like I can't imagine what you're like in private. <laughs> So I'm curious, uh, in regards to LinkedIn, and one of the questions I had was, uh, I think it was in June of this year, uh, the company had, I guess, a town hall uh, where an- people could comment anonymously and, and, and put input. And it, it went it went horribly wrong, um, which I don't think the CEO or a lot of the people thought that it would. Um, and there were racist comments that were that were anonymous. Um, later, the, the CEO apologized. Um, assuming you know about this story, uh, I, I'm guessing it didn't surprise you, uh, even though you're getting comments on LinkedIn, the fact that there are people working at LinkedIn that sort of share these these attitudes. Uh, did you have any particular feelings when you read about that? Did you want to boycott uh, LinkedIn at any point? No, and it's interesting because so LinkedIn added me to their like Amplify Black Voices page. Yeah, because yeah, like, you have like how many followers on LinkedIn? Um, like 40,000 almost. Okay. But it's like, They added me to this list, but like when you look at the list, a lot of the people they added are like the way the corporate world wants black people to look and act. Um, So a lot of people who are less loud than me, Um, but when you look at the pictures, it's a lot of people who don't have natural hair or all of these other things. And it's like, LinkedIn, what are you doing? Um, And LinkedIn has a ton of its own problems where like they just won't get rid of racists. Like it takes forever to have someone banned for like, constantly harassing you and that, that's what i don't understand it's like this is supposed to be a professional platform so it really shouldn't be take a whole lot of harassment for you to be like oh they're not really gaining anything professionally here but instead right. linkedin spends a lot of time banning activists who speak out about racism and black lives they do a lot of time doing that and it's like that is contradictory to what you're saying because you're swearing that you believe in black lives matter but now you are banning marginalized folks from your platform, which will then hinder their ability to find a job. Are you ever critical of LinkedIn on LinkedIn? Y- yes. How does that help? <laughs> um, I actually, um, a couple of weeks ago, they, so like the LinkedIn page posed a question and it was like, how can we start hard conversations about race? And so I made a post and I was like, hey, LinkedIn, let me help you. Um, maybe the first thing you should do is stop like shadow banning black voices. Um, because although you amplify black voices, you make sure they stay out of people's I'm sure that went over well. Yeah. And I mean, there was actually someone who, another black woman who made a post pretty similar to mine um, a couple weeks ago, kind of just on the same topic. And the CEO responded like, oh, no, that's not happening. So again, instead of like taking ownership for like, oh, maybe our algorithms are biased, which is a thing. Like 
if you don't have the right engineering team working on your product, your algorithms are going to be biased. They're probably going to be biased anyway because that's how the human mind works. Yeah. Um, so instead of taking any ownership, he was just like, oh, no, 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 that's, that's not happening. So that's not happening. <laughs> Well, it's interesting because you have individuals and and before we started, you said that, look, I I don't go and I don't go looking for these people. They find me. So I'm not doing research and I'm not trying to tag people uh, to uh, to start, you know, harassing them on LinkedIn. They actually find me. And uh, that's where the hate starts spewing. How does how does that happen? Just because you have so many followers and those people have like second connection links? I don't. And that's the weirder thing to me is so often the hateful comments I get are third connections. Okay. So like, I don't know how they found me. But, but that being said, what you do, and I don't know if this is cathartic or what it is. You have to explain it to me. You have a ton of followers on LinkedIn. You really don't have that big of a group on Twitter, but yet you take the you you screenshot some of the stupidity that's happening uh in the racist comments and those types of things on linkedin and then you put it on twitter so why why did you start doing that was it to grow a following was it because it was cathartic why why did you start doing that no um mostly because i just didn't want to do it on linkedin i have like a really schedule on how i post on linkedin and how i post content so i'm not one of those people who like post more than once a day so twitter is the only place where i can like go and post multiple times and like have conversation. I won't do that on LinkedIn. Um, I won't do that on Facebook and I won't do it on Instagram. So it's the only platform that I feel like it's normal to like post more t- more than once in a day. Um, and that's why, I mean, I keep a small following because it's literally people who know me. Like in real, real life or like close enough to real life. I, I tried to keep myself not completely accessible to the real world where I feel like on LinkedIn, I'm very accessible to a bunch of people that I don't know. We'll get back to the interview in a minute. But first, we have a question for Andy Katz, COO of Next. Andy, if a company wants to actually come to Next and utilize your database and target texting candidates, I mean, how does that actually work? Right. So we have the software to provide it two different ways. If an employer has their own database of opted-in text messages, whether it's through their ATS, we can text on their behalf. Or we have over eight and a half million users that have opted into our text messaging at this point. So we can use our own database. We can dissect it by obviously by geography, by function, um, any which way. Some and sometimes we'll even parse the resumes of the opted in people to target certifications. So we really can you know dive really deep if they want to hone in on you know just give me the best hundred candidates that I want to text message with and have a conversation back and forth with versus going and saying I need 30,000 retail people across the country. And that's more of a, you know, yes, no text messaging back and apply. For more information, go to hiring.next.com. Remember, that's next with the double X, not the triple X. Hiring.next.com. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. Wanted to talk about uh, solutions a little bit. Uh, two, two that come to mind. One is 
you know, Chad and I have uh, interviewed a company that will basically, um, you know, search employees, Twitter accounts, social media accounts, and uh, sort of with their AI uh, layover will say, hey, this is a racist comment. This is a sexist comment, or we've, we've indicated this is a certain um, type of comment. So then employers perspective and current can say like, we're not going to hire this person because of some of their activity. The other thing I would bring up is, uh, is, is AI. Um, and every AI company that, that Chad and I talk to, I'll talk about how AI is the, the, you know, the panacea of, uh, unbiased recruiting. So I'm curious about your opinion on, on solutions. Is technology going to help solute, uh, solve this? Is there a deeper solution that, that we should be looking at or is it hopeless? Um, God, I definitely don't want to say the, the solution is technology. I think too often we try to use technology to solve human problems. That's why so many AI companies got into the DEI world and then just kind of like messed it up because they thought they could solve humans with, with like algorithms. Um, and so, you know, you think about the hiring process and cool, maybe you did get some diverse candidates into your pipeline or even got them hired. But if you didn't create a space that was ready for them, you didn't do them any good. You're actually just doing harm. Um, and so I kind of feel the same way about this. Like if the AI isn't right, then you probably end up uh, with, again, a biased programming system that isn't going to work for everyone. Um, I think a lot of the solution relies on education, but also really as employers being upfront about your values. I mean, as an employer myself, um, and when I'm interviewing people, one of the things I'm, I'm telling them is like, we believe that Black Lives Matter. We believe in the LGBTQ rights. Like, these are the things that I talk about in the interview process, because I want people to know that, like, this isn't if this isn't for you, then it's not for you. And I, I, I owe them that. I owe them my values and they can make the decision on if they're their values as well. And I hope that most humans will want to work at companies that emulate their own values. Should that be a part of the the actual interview process? Do you believe for pretty much just just widespread America, uh, do you believe Black Lives Matter? I mean, that's a, that's an easy question, but the answer on the other side could, could be incredibly telling, right? Of course, and, as, and and I would like love to flip that around as well. Like when we're interviewing as candidates. We should be able to ask companies like, okay, you said Black Lives Matter, but what did you do to back that up? Yes. Or did you, or was it a PR push? Like, was mm -hmm. it just an Instagram post? And so I think there are lots of hard conversations that need to be happening in the interview process that typically aren't happening in the interview process because people are so bad at interviewing and making interviews human. And so for me, that's a lot of what I do is I really get to know people and I let them get to know me. I let them get to know my company and where we stand on everything. Mm -hmm. um, and then when people are hired, we are continuing continuously doing education and continuing these hard conversations. It's not a workshop that we do once a year and then we talk about it again in a year. Um, it's a constant conversation and it has to be because you can't allow these things to slip through the cracks because that's when people then get comfortable in their bigotry and their biases and their hatred. Well, and that's coming out on different platforms as well we we talked about i think it was last week uh this 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 wannabe uh glass door platform called cootby where they're uh, trying they're trying to bring out all the hate right and and you were subject to part of that i actually called the the this whatever they call him ceo the the, the guy the dude <laughs> Who the fuck knows? Anyway, I talked to him and the person who was actually commenting about you had never gone through the candidate experience. And that whole site was predicated on 
can't rate your candidate experience, right? So yep. it seems like it seems like that was a hit job number one. Then number two, just this week, I don't know what her name is. It's like Carlin, like Karl Marx, Carlin uh, Borisenko. That's good, Carlin Borisenko. She she did a thirty five minute like hit job where she's going through LinkedIn and tweets. And a lot of what she's going through is, I mean, it's all opinion-based stuff, but she's obviously a Trumper and she wants to try to knock you down. There is a lot of hit jobs going on and I'm sure there are many more. How are you dealing with all this bullshit? Um, By napping a lot and not reading my comment section. (laughs) Um, Don't read those fucking comments. Fuck them. (laughs) <laughs> no, not reading the comments is 100% self-care. Um, but I think that comes with, and I've, I've learned it multiple times now, like being in the spotlight comes with the people who don't agree with the things you say. But on the flip side, it's really easy to not say racist stuff to me. Like, it's so easy. No one is forcing you to do that. I have a disclaimer. If you say racist stuff to me, I'm going to tweet about it. It's not yeah. a secret. I told you not to do it. You did it anyway. I don't know. <laughs> The fact that someone took the time out of their, their life to make a 36-minute video to me is, like, wild. I mean, she used a very good picture of me. I'm very excited. I look great in that photo, so I appreciate that. <laughs> but I don't know. I think it, it just comes with the territory of, like, being really strong in your foundation and your morals and the things that you believe in are going to be the people who also are strong in whatever their morals are and whatever it is. And so we're in a world where people have lots of opinions, but we're also in a world where, like, opinions can be wrong. Like your opinion on racism and not believing Black Lives Matter, I'm going to tell you your opinion is wrong. Like if I have to yeah. argue with you about why I matter, like I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to tell you you're wrong. I shouldn't have to educate you on the value of Black lives or the value of any lives. Um, it shouldn't be an argument and it shouldn't and it shouldn't be a political one for sure. Can I just uh, so I want to pivot back to your YouTube video because Chad and I were so jealous. We've been trying for 20 years to piss someone off so much that they make a 35 minute video about us. And the fact that you did it uh, really makes us jealous. So I just, I just want to put that out there uh, for a second. Um, My last question is uh, Torn Ellis, who you probably know a a fantastic voice in our industry. Uh, Chad and I sat down with him a year or so ago and we asked him a simple question, which was essentially what can two middle-aged white guys do to help the cause? And I'm going to ask you the same question. What can Chad and I do to help move uh, move things forward. And I actually, I had this conversation last night. And so I think, you know, for me, the biggest thing about being an ally is the ability to pull up. It's not performative. It's not for likes. It's not for shares. It's like really meaning it. And so I have a really great white ally here in town, Adam. And so a perfect example of Adam's allyship is like when people like this are attacking me, he's always like, can you take this off of her post? I'm happy to hop on a call with you. Let's talk about it. But it's for me, the act of believing us. As black people, so often I have to show up with receipts. I have to explain myself 92 million times before I even get, you know, an ounce of credibility. For example, I posted about driving through sundown towns last week and like the whole world was like, oh, no, you're not you're paranoid. And I was like, Google is free. Like you can Google it. This is like a real thing. I'm not making it up, but okay. And so for me, the most important thing from an ally is like normalizing, just believing people when they talk about their lived experiences. And it's not about see something, say something. It's about say something regardless. 
it's about normalizing the experiences that Black people and marginalized folks go through on a daily basis and them not being questioned about it, that we just believe victims over abusers. How do we change the workplace? Because this is happening everywhere, as we'd said, they're coming out of their holes. How do we overall change the workplace? These hard conversations need to happen. There's no question, but we have to have it in a civil manner. How do we do that? And how do we not? How do we stop hiring racists? So part of that is writing policies that allow you to create the environment that you need at your organization. And so that means no tolerance policies. That means writing in policies that are inclusive. So when you're writing your paternity or your maternity policy, not just using men and women or husband and wife, because you you immediately exclude people. And when you exclude people in your policies, it allows other people to feel like they can exclude them in the corporate setting as well. Um, and so again, I, I write no tolerance policies. I have no room for hate. You're not going to be homophobic, racist, transphobic here. I don't care how good you are at your job. I can find someone else who's also good at their job and a good person. Those are things that are super important to me. And again, it's just having these hard conversations, even when it makes us uncomfortable. We have to be willing to get uncomfortable and get our feelings hurt and just feel ugh, with conversations. It comes with the territory. All of this is a learning process. It's all a journey. It is all a journey that involves a shit ton of self-awareness. And as we all know, self-awareness can feel gross and hard and icky. Yeah. Um, and you have to be comfortable with that because that is the only way we we can create change when we start making those changes within our own selves. Love it. Love it. Madison, thank you for sitting down with us. Uh, we appreciate it. For those that want to know more about you or connect, where would you send them? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn under Madison Butler and I'm on Twitter as the corporate recruiter, but it's spelled funny, but you should still be able to find me. <laughs> or no, I lied. Corporate corporate unicorn. Sorry, I, I mess up my Twitter handle so often. Awesome. Hell and with yeah. that, Chad, <laughs> we out. Thank you for listening to Podcast with Chad and Cheese. Brilliant. They talk about recruiting, they talk about technology, but most of all, they talk about nothing. Anywho, be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We out. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.